second part of chapter three of mutual aid a factor of evolution this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by enko mutual aid a factor of evolution by peter kropotkin second part of chapter three mutual aid among savages many striking pages could be written about the harmony which prevails in the villages of the polynesian inhabitants of the pacific islands but they belong to a more advanced stage of civilization so we shall now take our illustrations from the far north i must mention however before leaving the southern hemisphere that even the fuegians whose reputation has been so bad appear under a much better light since they begin to be better known a few french missionaries who stay among them know of no act of malevolence to complain of in their clans consisting of from one hundred and twenty to one hundred and fifty souls they practice the same primitive communism as the papuas they share everything in common and treat their old people very well peace prevails among these tribes open footnote l f marshall in mission scientifique au cap horn paris eighteen eighty three volume first pages one hundred and eighty three to two hundred and one close footnote with the eskimos and their nearest congeners the tinklets the colossus and the aleuts we find one of the nearest illustrations of what men may have been during the glacial age their implements hardly differ from those of paleolithic men and some of the tribes do not yet know fishing they simply spear the fish with a kind of harpoon Open footnote, Captain Holmes' expedition to East Greenland. Close footnote. They know the use of iron, but they receive it from the Europeans, who find it on wrecked ships. Their social organization is of a very primitive kind, though they already have emerged from the stage of communal marriage, even under the Gentile restrictions. They live in families, but the family bonds are often broken. Husbands and wives are often exchanged. One footnote, in Australia, whole clans have been seen exchanging all their wives in order to conjure a calamity. Penbracket, post Sudian Zoo, and Wicklungeschich de Familienrecht, 1890, page 342. Close bracket. More brotherhood is their specific against calamities. Close footnote. The families, however, remain united in clans, and how could it be otherwise? How could they sustain the hard struggle for life unless by closely combining their forces? So they do, and the tribal bonds are closest where the struggle for life is hardest, namely in northeast Greenland. The long house is the usual dwelling, and several families lodge in it, separated from each other by small partitions of rag furs with a common passage in the front. Sometimes the house has the shape of a cross, and in such case a common fire is kept in the centre the german expedition which spent a winter close by one of those long houses could ascertain that no quarrel disturbed the peace no dispute arose about the use of this narrow space throughout the long winter scolding or even unkind words are considered as a misdemeanor if not produced under the legal form of process namely the nif song open footnote dr h rink the eskimo tribes page twenty six open bracket medelelzer um Kronland, volume eleven eighteen eighty seven close bracket Close, footnote. close cohabitation and close interdependence are sufficient for maintaining century after century that deep respect for the interests of a community which is characteristic of eskimo life even in the larger communities of eskimos public opinion forms the real judgment seat the general punishment consisting in the offenders being shamed in the eyes of the people open footnote dr rink lock seat page twenty four europeans grow in the respect of roman law 
are seldom capable of understanding that force of tribal authority. In fact, Dr. Ring writes, it is not the exception, but the rule that white men who have stayed for 10 or 20 years among the Eskimo return without any real addition to their knowledge of the traditional ideas upon which their social state is based. The white man, whether a missionary or a trader, is firm in his dogmatic opinion that the most vulgar European is better than the most distinguished native. The Eskimo tribes, page 31, close footnote. Eskimo life is based upon communism. What is obtained by hunting and fishing belongs to the clan. But in several tribes, especially in the West, under the influence of the Danes, private property penetrates into the institutions. However, they have an original means for obviating the inconveniences arising from a personal accumulation of wealth which would soon destroy their tribal unity. When a man has grown rich, he convokes the folk of his clan to a great festival, and after much eating, distributes among them all his fortune. On the Yukon River, Dal saw an alliant family distributing in this way ten guns, ten full four, ten full third dresses, two hundred strings of beads, numerous blankets, ten wolf furs, two hundred beavers, and five hundred siblings. After that, they took off their festival dresses, gave them away, and putting on all rag furs, addressed a few words to the kinsfolk, saying that though they are now poorer than any one of them, they have won their friendship. Open footnote, Dal, Alaska and its resources, Cambridge, U.S., 1870. Like distributions of wealth appear to be a regular habit with the Eskimos and to take place at a certain season after an exhibition of all that has been obtained during the year. Open footnote, Dal saw it in Alaska, Jacobson at Ignitok in the vicinity of the Bering Strait, Gilbreth Prout mentions it among the Vancouver Indians and Dr. Rink, who describes the periodical exhibitions. Just mentioned, adds, the principal use of the accumulation of personal wealth is for periodically distributing it. He also mentions, open bracket, lock seat, page 31, close bracket, the destruction of property for the same purpose, open bracket, of maintaining equality, close bracket, close footnote. In my opinion, these distributions reveal a very old institution, contemporaneous with the first apparition of personal wealth. They must have been a means for re-establishing equality among the members of the clan, after it had been disturbed by the enrichment of a few. The periodical redistribution of land and the periodical abandonment of all debts which took place in historical times with so many different races, Open bracket, Semites, Aryans, etc. Close bracket, must have been a survival of that old custom, and the habit of either burying with the dead or destroying upon his grave all that belonged to him personally, a habit which we find among all primitive races, must have had the same origin. In fact, while everything that belongs personally to the dead is burnt or broken upon his grave, nothing is destroyed of what belonged to him in common with the tribe, such as boats or the communal implements of fishing. The destruction bears upon personal property alone. At a later epoch, this habit becomes a religious ceremony. It receives a mystical interpretation and is imposed by religion when public opinion alone proves incapable of enforcing its general observance. And finally, it is substituted by either burning simple models of a dead man's property as in China, close bracket, or by simply carrying his property to the grave and taking it back to his house after the burial ceremony is over, a habit which still prevails with the Europeans as regards swords, crosses, and other marks of public distinction. Open footnote. See Appendix 8. Close footnote. The high standard of the tribal morality of the Eskimos has often been mentioned in general literature. 
nevertheless the following remarks upon the manners of the aleoutes nearly akin to the eskimos will better illustrate savage morality as a whole they were written after a ten years stay among the aleoutes by a most remarkable man the russian missionary vinyaminov i sum them up mostly in his own words endurability open bracket he wrote close bracket is their chief feature it is simply colossal not only do they bathe every morning in the frozen sea and stand naked on the beach inhaling the icy wind but their endurability even when at hard work on insufficient food surpasses all that can be imagined during a protracted scarcity of food the aleut cares first for his children he gives them all he has and himself false they are not inclined to stealing that was remarked even by the first russian immigrants not that they never steal every aleut would confess having sometime stolen something but it is always a trifle the whole is so childish the attachment of the parents to their children is touching though it is never expressed in words or pettings the aleut is with difficulty moved to make a promise but once he has made it he will keep it whatever may happen an aleut made vinyaminov a gift of dried fish but it was forgotten on the beach in the hurry of the departure he took it home the next occasion to send it to the missionary was in january and in november and december there was a great scarcity of food in the aleut encampment but the fish was never touched by the starving people and in january it was sent to its destination close bracket their code of morality is both varied and severe it is considered shameful to be afraid of unavoidable death to ask pardon from an enemy to die without ever having killed an enemy to be convicted of stealing to capsize a boat in the harbour to be afraid of going to sea in stormy weather to be the first in a party on a long journey to become an invalid in case of scarcity of food to show greediness when spoil is divided in which case everyone gives his own part to the greedy man to shame him to divulge a public secret to his wife being two persons on a hunting expedition not to offer the best game to the partner to boast of his own deeds especially of invented ones to scold anyone in scorn also to beg to pet his wife in other people's presence and to dance with her to bargain personally selling must always be made through a third person who settles the price for a woman it is a shame not to know stewing dancing and all kinds of woman's work to pet her husband and children or even to speak to her husband in the presence of a stranger open footnote Vinyaminov memoirs relative to the district of unalashka open bracket russian close bracket three volumes st petersburg 1840 extracts in english from the above are given in dolls alaska a like description of the australian's morality is given in nature 12 page 639 close footnote such is aleut morality which might also be further illustrated by their tales and legends let me also add that when vinyaminov wrote open bracket in 1840 close bracket one murder only had been committed since the last century in a population of 60,000 people and that among 1800 aleuts not one single common law offence had been known for 40 years this will not seem strange if we remark that scolding scorning and the use of rough words are absolutely unknown in aleut life even their children never fight and never abuse each other in words all they may say is your mother does not know sewing or your father is blind of one eye open footnote it is most remarkable that several writers when bracket middendorf shrank offinch close bracket describe the ostiaks and samoyeds in almost the same words even when drunken the quarrels are insignificant for a hundred years one single murder has been committed in the tundra the children never fight anything may be left for years in the tundra even food and gin and nobody will touch it and so on gilbert 
sprout never witnessed a fight between two sober natives of the eight indians of vancouver island quarrelling is also rare among their children open bracket rink lock seat close bracket and so on close footnote many features of savage life remain however a puzzle to europeans the high development of tribal solidarity and the good feelings with which primitive folk are animated towards each other could be illustrated by any amount of any amount of reliable testimony and yet it is not the less certain that those same savages practice infanticide that in some cases they abandon their old people and that they blindly obey the rules of blood revenge we must then explain the coexistence of facts which to the european mind seem so contradictory at the first sight i have just mentioned how the aleut father starves for days and weeks and gives everything eatable to his child and how the bushman mother becomes a slave to follow her child and i might fill pages with illustrations of the really tender relations existing among the savages and their children travellers continually mention them incidentally here you read about the fond love of a mother there you see a father wildly running through the forest and carrying upon his shoulders his child bitten by a snake or a missionary tells you the despair of the parents at the loss of a child whom he had saved a few years before from being immolated at its birth you learn that the savage mothers usually nurse their children till the age of four and that in the new hebrides on the loss of especially the beloved child its mother or aunt will kill herself to take care of it in the other world open footnote jill quoted in galen and wade's anthropology fifth six hundred and forty one see also pages six hundred and thirty six to six hundred and forty where many facts of parental and filial love are quoted close footnote and so on like facts are met with by the score so that when we see that these same loving parents practice infanticide we are bound to recognize that the habit open bracket whatever its ulterior transformations may be close bracket took its origin under the sheer pressure of necessity as an obligation towards the tribe and a means for rearing the already growing children the savages as a rule do not multiply without stint as some english writers put it on the contrary they take all kinds of measures for diminishing the birth rate a whole series of restrictions which europeans certainly would find extravagant or imposed to that effect and they are strictly obeyed but notwithstanding that primitive folk cannot rear all the children however it has been remarked that as soon as they succeed in increasing their regular means of subsistence they at once begin to abandon the practice of infanticide on the whole the parents obey that obligation reluctantly and as soon as they can afford it they retort to all kinds of compromises to save the lives of their newborn as has been so well pointed out by my friend Ellie reclus footnote primitive folk london eighteen ninety one close footnote they invent the lucky and unlucky days of births and spare the children born on the lucky days they try to postpone the sentence for a few hours and then say that if the baby has lived one day it must live all its natural life open footnote Gerland, Lock, close footnote they hear the cries of the little ones coming from the forest and maintain that if heard they forbode a misfortune for the tribe and as they have no baby forming no creatures for getting rid of the children every one of them recalls before the necessity of performing the cruel sentence they prefer to expose the baby in the wood rather than to take its life by violence 
ignorance, not cruelty, maintains infanticide, and instead of moralizing the savages with sermons, the missionaries would do better to follow the example of Gryaminov, who every year till his old age crossed the sea of Okots in a miserable boat, or travelled on dogs among his chukches, supplying them with bread and fishing implements. He thus had really stopped infanticide. The same is true as regards what superficial observers describe as parricide. We just now saw that the habit of abandoning all people is not so widely spread as some writers have maintained it to be. It has been extremely exaggerated, but it is occasionally met with among nearly all savages, and in such cases it has the same origin as the exposure of children. When a savage feels that he is a burden to his tribe, when every morning his share of food is taken from the mouths of the children, and the little ones are not so stoical as their fathers they cry when they are hungry when every day he has to be carried among across the stony beach or the virgin forest on the shoulders of younger people there are no invalid carriages nor destitutes to wheel them in savage lands he begins to repeat what the old russian peasants say until nowadays to joy bracket i live over people's life it is time to retire close bracket and he retires he does what the soldier does in a similar case when the salvation of his detachment depends upon its further advance and he can move no more and knows that he must die if left behind the soldier implores his best friend to render him the last service before leaving the encampment and the friend with shivering hands discharges his gun into the dying body so the savages do the old man asks himself to die he himself insists upon this last duty towards the community and obtains the consent of the tribe he digs out his grave he invites his kinsfolk to the last parting meal his father has done so it is now his turn and he parts with his kinfolk with marks of affection the savage so much considers death as part of his duties towards his community that he not only refuses to be rescued bracket as moffat has told close bracket but when a woman who had to be immolated on her husband's grave was rescued by missionaries and was taken to an island she escaped in the night crossed a broad sea arm swimming and rejoined her tribe to die on the grave open footnote erskine coated in Sherland and weights anthropology fifth six hundred and forty close footnote it has become with them a matter of religion but the savages as a rule are so reluctant to take anyone's life otherwise that in fight that none of them will take upon himself to shed human blood and they resort to all kinds of stratagems which have been so falsely interpreted in most cases they abandon the old man in the wood after having given him more than his share of the common food arctic expeditions have done the same when they no more could carry their invalid comrades live a few days more maybe there will be some unexpected rescue west european men of science when coming across these facts are absolutely unable to stand them they cannot reconcile them with a high development of tribal morality and they prefer to cast a doubt upon the exactitude of absolutely reliable observers instead of trying to explain the parallel existence of the two sets of facts a high tribal morality together with the abandonment of the parents and infanticide but if these same europeans were to tell a savage that people extremely amiable fond of their own children and so impressionable that they cry when they see a misfortune simulated on a stage or living in europe within a stone's throw from dens in which children die from sheer want of food the savage too would not understand them 
I remember how vainly I tried to make some of my Tungus friends understand our civilization of individualism. They could not, and they resorted to the most fantastical suggestions. The fact is that a savage, brought up in ideas of a tribal solidarity in everything for bad and for good, is as incapable of understanding a moral European who knows nothing of that solidarity as the average European is incapable of understanding the savage. But if our scientists had lived amidst a half-starving tribe which does not possess among them all one man's food for so much as a few days to come he probably might have understood their motives so also the savage if he had stayed among us and received our education maybe would understand our european indifference towards our neighbours and our royal commissions for the prevention of baby farming stone houses make stony hearts the russian peasants say but he ought to live in a stone house first similar remarks must be made as regards cannibalism taking into account all the facts which were brought to light during a recent controversy on this subject at the paris anthropological society and many incidental remarks scattered throughout the savage literature we are bound to recognize that that practice was brought into existence by sheer necessity but that it was further developed by superstition and religion into the proportions it attained in fiji or in mexico it is a fact that until this day many savages are compelled to deliver corpses in the most advanced state of putrefaction and that in cases of absolute scarcity some of them have had to disinter and to feed upon human corpses even during an epidemic these are ascertained facts but if we now transport ourselves to the conditions which men had to face during the glacial period in a damp and cold climate with but little vegetable food at his disposal if we take into account the terrible ravages which scurvy still makes among underfed natives and remember that meat and fresh blood are the only restoratives which they know we must admit that man who formerly was a granivorous animal became a flesh eater during the glacial period he found plenty of deer at that time but deer often migrate in the arctic regions and sometimes they entirely abandon a territory for a number of years in such cases his lost resources disappeared during like hard trials cannibalism has been resorted to even by europeans and it was resorted to by the savages until the present time they occasionally devour the corpse of their own dead they must have devoured then the corpses of those who had to die all people died convinced that by their death they were rendering a lost service to the tribe this is why cannibalism is represented by some savages as of divine origin as something that has been ordered by a messenger from the sky but later on it lost its character of necessity and survived as a superstition and myths had to be eaten in order to inherit their courage and at a still later epoch the enemy's eye or heart was eaten for the same purpose while among other tribes already having a numerous prizehood and a developed mythology evil gods thirsty for human blood were invented and human sacrifices required by the priests to appease the gods in this religious phase of its existence cannibalism attained its most revolting characters mexico is a well-known example and in fiji where the king could eat any one of his subjects we also find a mighty caste of priests a complicated theology open footnote w t pritchard polynesian reminiscences london eighteen sixty six page three hundred and sixty three and a full development of autocracy originated by necessity 
cannibalism became at a later period a religious institution and in this form it survived long after it had disappeared from among tribes which certainly practised it in former times but did not attain the theocratical stage of evolution the same remark must be made as regards infanticide and the abandonment of parents in some cases they also have been maintained as a survival of olden times as a religiously kept tradition of the past i will terminate my remarks by mentioning another custom which also is a source of most erroneous conclusions i mean the practice of blood revenge all savages are under the impression that blood shed must be revenged by blood if anyone has been killed the murderer must die if anyone has been wounded the aggressor's blood must be shed there is no exception to the rule not even for animals so the hunter's blood is shed on his return to the village when he has shed the blood of an animal that is the savage's conception of justice a conception which yet prevails in western europe as regards murder now when both the offender and the offended belong to the same tribe the tribe and the offended person settle the affair Open footnote. it is remarkable however that in case of a sentence of death nobody will take upon himself to be the executioner everyone throws his stone or gives his blow with a hatchet carefully avoiding to give a mortal blow at a later epoch the priest will stab the victim with a sacred knife still later it will be the king until civilization invents the hired hangman Sebastian's deep remarks upon this subject in their mens in their Geskitch third die blue track pages one to thirty six a remainder of this tribal habit i am told by professor e nice has survived in military executions till our own times in the middle portion of the nineteenth century it was a habit to load the rifles of the twelve soldiers called out for shooting the condemned victim with eleven ball cartridges and one blank cartridge as the soldiers never knew who of them had the latter each one could console his disturbed conscience by thinking that he was not one of the murderers Close footnote. but when the offender belongs to another tribe and that tribe for one reason or another refuses a compensation then the offended tribe decides to take the revenge itself primitive folks so much consider everyone's acts as a tribal affair dependent upon tribal approval that they easily think the clan responsible for everyone's acts therefore the due revenge may be taken upon any member of the offender's clan or relatives Open footnote. in africa and elsewhere too it is a widely spread habit that if a theft has been committed the next clan has to restore the equivalent of the stolen thing and then look itself for the thief a h post Africanist jurisprudence Leipzig, 1887, volume first, page 77. Close footnote. It may often happen, however, that the retaliation goes further than the offence. In trying to inflict a wound, they may kill the offender or wound him more than they intended to do, and this becomes a cause for a new third, so that the primitive legislators were careful in requiring the retaliation to be limited to an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and blood for blood footnote see professor m kovalevsky's modern customs and ancient law open bracket russian close bracket moscow 1886 volume second which contains many important considerations upon this subject close footnote it is remarkable however that with most primitive folk like thuds are infinitely rarer than might be expected though with some of them they may attain abnormal proportions especially with mountaineers who have been driven to the highlands by foreign invaders such as the mountaineers of caucasia and especially those of borneo the dayaks 
with the dyaks we were told lately the thirds had gone so far that a young man could neither marry nor be proclaimed of age before he had secured the head of an enemy this horrid practice was fully described in a modern english work open footnote see Karl Buck, the head hunters of borneo london eighteen eighty one i am told however by sir huglow who was for a long time governor of borneo that the head hunting described in this book is grossly exaggerated altogether my informant speaks of the dyaks in exactly the same sympathetic terms as ida Payfair. let me add that mary kingsley speaks in her book on west africa in the same sympathetic terms of the fans who had been represented formerly as the most terrible cannibals Close footnote. it appears however that this affirmation was a gross exaggeration moreover dyak headhunting takes quite another aspect when we learn that the supposed headhunter is not actuated at all by personal passion he acts under what he considers as a moral obligation towards his tribe just as the european judge who in obedience to the same evidently wrong principle of blood for blood hands over the condemned murderer to the hangman both the dyak and the judge would even feel remorse if sympathy moved them to spare the murderer that is why the dyaks apart from the murders they commit when actuated by their conception of justice are depicted by all those who know them as a most sympathetic people thus called buck the same author who has given such a terrible picture of head-hunting rights as regards morality i am bound to assign to the dyaks a high place in the scale of civilization robberies and theft are entirely unknown among them they also are very truthful if i did not always get the whole truth i always got at least nothing but the truth from them i wish i could say the same of the malays open bracket pages two hundred and nine and two hundred testimony is fully corroborated by that of ida Pfeiffer. i fully recognize she wrote that i should be pleased longer to travel among them i usually found them honest good and reserved much more so than any other nation i knew open footnote ida pfeiffer men's weight well when 1856 volume first page 116 sequence see also muller and temitz dutch possessions in archipelagic india quoted by elisee reclus in geographie universelle thirteenth stoltz use almost the same language when speaking of them the dayaks usually have but one wife and treat her well they are very sociable and every morning the whole clan goes out for fishing hunting or gardening in large parties their villages consist of big huts each of which is inhabited by a dozen families and sometimes by several hundred persons peacefully living together they show great respect for their wives and are fond of their children and when one of them falls ill the women nurse him in turn as a rule they are very moderate in eating and drinking such is the dayak in his real daily life it would be a tedious repetition if more illustrations from savage life were given wherever we go we find the same sociable manners the same spirit of solidarity and when we endeavour to penetrate into the darkness of past ages we find the same tribal life the same associations of men however primitive for mutual support therefore darwin was quite right when he saw in men's social qualities the chief factor for his further evolution and darwin's vulgarizers are entirely wrong when they maintain the contrary the small strength and speed of men 
open bracket he wrote close bracket his want of natural weapons etc are more than counterbalanced firstly by his intellectual faculties open bracket which he remarked on another page have been chiefly or even exclusively gained for the benefit of the community close bracket and secondly by his social qualities which led him to give and receive aid from his fellow men open footnote descent of men second edition pages sixty three sixty four close footnote in the last century the savage and his life in the state of nature were idealized but now men of science have gone to the opposite extreme especially since some of them anxious to prove the animal origin of men but not conversant with the social aspects of animal life began to charge the savage with all imaginable bestial features it is evident however that this exaggeration is even more unscientific than rousseau's idealization the savage is not an ideal of virtue nor is he an ideal of savagery but the primitive man has one quality elaborated and maintained by the very necessities of his hard struggle for life he identifies his own existence with that of his tribe and without that quality mankind never would have attained the level it has attained now primitive folk as has been already said so much identify their lives with that of a tribe that each of their acts however insignificant is considered as a tribal affair their whole behavior is regulated by an infinite series of unwritten rules of propriety which are the fruit of their common experience as to what is good or bad that is beneficial or harmful for their own tribe of course the reasonings upon which their rules of propriety are based sometimes are absurd in the extreme many of them originate in superstition and altogether in whatever the savage does he sees but the immediate consequences of his acts he cannot foresee their indirect and ulterior consequences thus simply exaggerating a defect with which bentham reproached civilized legislators but absurd or not the savage obeys the prescriptions of the common law however inconvenient they may be he obeys them even more blindly than the civilized man obeys the prescriptions of the written law his common law is his religion it is his very habit of living the idea of the clan is always present to his mind and self-restriction and self-sacrifice in the interests of the clan or of daily occurrence if the savage has infringed one of the smaller tribal rules he is prosecuted by the mockeries of the women if the infringement is grave he is tortured day and night by the fear of having called a calamity upon his tribe if he has wounded by accident any one of his own clan and thus has committed the greatest of all crimes he grows quite miserable he runs away in the woods and is ready to commit suicide unless the tribe absolves him by, by inflicting upon him physical pain and sheds some of his own blood open footnote sebastian's mens in there geskitch third page seven also gray lock sit second page two hundred and thirty eight close footnote within the tribe everything is shared in common every morsel of food is divided among all present and if the savage is alone in the woods he does not begin eating before he has loudly shouted thrice an invitation to anyone who may hear his voice to share his meal open footnote Mikluko, Makle, Lok, Sit same habit with the hottentots close footnote in short within the tribe the rule of each for all is supreme so long as the separate family has not yet broken up the tribal unity but that rule is not extended to the neighboring clans or tribes even when they are federated for mutual protection each tribe or clan is a separate unity just as among mammals and birds the territory is roughly allotted among separate tribes and except in times of war the boundaries are respected 
on entering the territory of his neighbors one must show that he has no bad intentions the louder one heralds his coming the more confidence he wins and if he enters a house he must deposit his hatchet at the entrance but no tribe is bound to share its food with the others it may do so or it may not therefore the life of the savage is divided into two sets of actions and appears under two different ethical aspects the relations within the tribe and the relations with the outsiders and open bracket like our international law close bracket the intertribal law widely differs from the common law therefore when it comes to a war the most revolting cruelties may be considered as so many claims upon the admiration of the tribe this double conception of morality passes through the whole evolution of mankind and maintains itself until now we europeans have realized some progress not immense at any rate in eradicating that double conception of ethics but it also must be said that while we have in some measure extended our ideas of solidarity in theory at least over the nation and partly over other nations as well we have lessened the bonds of solidarity within our own nations and even within our own families the appearance of a separate family amidst the clan necessarily disturbs the established unity a separate family means separate property and accumulation of wealth we saw how the eskimos obviate its inconveniences and it is one of the most interesting studies to follow in the course of ages the different institutions open bracket village communities guilds and so on close bracket by means of which the masses endeavoured to maintain the tribal unity notwithstanding the agencies which were at work to break it down on the other hand the first rudiments of knowledge which appeared at an extremely remote epoch when they confounded themselves with witchcraft also became a power in the hands of the individual which could be used against the tribe they were carefully kept in secrecy and transmitted to the initiated only in the secret societies of witches shamans and priors which we find among all savages by the same time wars and invasions created military authority as also caused of warriors whose associations or clubs acquired great powers however at no period of man's life were wars the normal state of existence while warriors exterminated each other and the priors celebrated their massacres the masses continued to live their daily life they prosecuted their daily toil and it is one of the most interesting studies to follow that life of the masses to study the means by which they maintain their own social organization which was based upon their own conceptions of equity mutual aid and mutual support of common law in a word even when they were submitted to the most ferocious theocracy or autocracy in the state end of the second part of chapter three recording by enko if you would like to send me an email you can reach me at enkobilal at yahoo.com that's e-n-k-o-b-i-l-a-l at yahoo.com